Welcome and Merry Christmas again. We're so glad that you can join us today, especially for those of you who are joining us online. And over the last few weeks, in the lead up to Christmas, we've been looking at the songs of the servant in the book of Isaiah. And the songs of servants are prophecies about the coming of Jesus, and it calls us to behold Jesus, because these prophecies shows us that there's nothing to be gained at looking at anything else in this world. Nothing can match the glory of Jesus' life and his work to bring redemption, restoration, and renewal to our weary world. And today on Christmas Day, we're going to behold Jesus in the fourth and final song. And this final song is actually a very important passage in the Old Testament, because this passage is more frequently quoted by the New Testament than any other Old Testament passage. So in this famous fourth servant song, we're going to see five things about the servant. First, the servant's wisdom, the servant's rejection. Third, the servant's sacrifice. Fourth, the servant's submission. And finally, fifth, the servant's satisfaction. And as we go through the passage, it will explain to us why Jesus came on earth, why Jesus came for us, and why we celebrate Christmas. So first, the servant's wisdom. Read with me verse 13. See or behold, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. The word behold is often used in the Bible when God wants to get our attention to something very important, something significant. And in the ancient times of the Bible, heralds would often go out into the towns and shout out, behold, your king is passing through. But what is really odd here is that God is calling us to behold who? To behold his servant. A servant doesn't seem to be very important or very significant. When we try to get others to behold something, it can be at times when we're on the plane flight and we see the Himalayas through the little window and outside we say, hey, hey, stop watching your movie. Take out your earphones. Come and have a look at this. Look at how marvelous it is. In other words, behold the Himalayas. Or when we're waiting for the bullet train and we say, hey, hey, stop eating your udon noodles. Let's have a look at the train timetable. This is really important. We don't want to miss our train or get on the wrong one until we say, behold the train timetable. But when God says, look, behold my servant, It's kind of like I'm going to the food court with my family, and I shout, hey, look at the cleaner. And my wife, Amy, would look at me, be like, why would you want me to look at the cleaner? What is so important? What is so significant about the cleaner? You see, our gaze tends to ignore servants. See, servants in our world tend to blend into the background, But God God calls us to intently fix our eyes on his servant because God says his servant will act wisely. And in other Bible translations, instead of the word wisely, it uses prudently or will prosper. 
And these translations are correct because the Hebrew verb combines the notion of using the best means to accomplish the highest end. The best means to accomplish the highest end. And so what God is saying is that his servant will use the best means to accomplish the highest end of salvation. And so what is the best means of the servant to accomplish God's salvation? We'll read on verse 14. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. And so he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what we are not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. The servant will suffer and be punished to the point that he'll be so disfigured, so marred beyond human likeness that many will be appalled at him, shocked, disgusted by him. What is the purpose of the servant's suffering and such ugly punishment? It's so the servant will sprinkle the nations. To sprinkle is the activity of the priest. The Jewish priest would sprinkle blood and water to take away a person's guilt, to cleanse a person from their sins. And so the wisdom of the servant is to not cleanse people from all nations by the blood of the sacrifice of an animal, but by sprinkling and pouring out his own blood. The servant himself would be the sacrifice to cleanse people of their sins. That would be the servant's best means to accomplish God's salvation. The shedding and the sprinkling of his own blood would be powerful enough and plentiful enough to cleanse many nations. As I said, the servant's works will be successful. Kings will shut their mouths because of his success. The servant's priestly work of purifying lives, so many and so effective, the kings, the human rulers and authorities will be speechless. This is the wisdom of God's plan of salvation. This is something new. All the world's experts and religious leaders never thought of removing our guilt this way, that the servant of God would judge our evil by bearing it on himself. But our own nature would not see the truth or understand such wisdom from God unless God gives us the grace to give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the minds to understand which is why many will reject God's servant. So secondly, we see the servant's rejection. Chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and he held him in low esteem. These verses make it clear that the servant, when he came, will not be attractive. He's not going to be a well-built, handsome guy. He's not going to be majestic at all. The servant's appearance was very ordinary to everyone. Outwardly, the servant did not fit the profile of a leader, of teacher of Israel. Jesus was brought into this world by an ordinary couple, Mary and Joseph. 
He worked an ordinary job as a carpenter. There was nothing about his outward appearance that would suggest to us that he would be the saviour king of the world. But Jesus was not simply ignored. He didn't simply blend into the background. He was despised and rejected. And because of the people's rejection of him, he was a man of great suffering, a man familiar with pain. Jesus experienced constant sorrow because people held him in low esteem. Esteemed is an accounting word. It's a financial word. It's the adding up of value. And when all of the human eye saw and all of the human mind apprehended, the value that they ascribed to Jesus was zero. Some of you may have experienced the hurt and sorrow when someone has told you in some way or form, you are a nobody, you are nothing to me, zero, nada, zip. I want nothing to do with you. And it's perhaps taken you a very long time for you to heal from such horrible pain of rejection. And if that's you, then know that the Lord Jesus knows exactly your pain. As one person said, Jesus experienced the sorrow of rejection constantly in a way that he came thick and heavy upon him, like wind-driven rain beating on an uncovered head. Because of that, Jesus was a man of great sorrows. But the servant's sorrows was not the servant's defeat. His sorrow led to his victorious sacrifice. So next we see the servant's sacrifice. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us Peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Notice the repetition of the words our and us, our pain, our suffering, our transgressions, our iniquities, our own way, the iniquities of us all. Jesus suffered in our place for our sin. The sorrow and pain that Jesus felt was ours to bear. We are the guilty ones, and his grief and sorrow were the just punishment for our sin. And Jesus on the cross was pierced for our transgression, our offense of breaking God's law. Jesus on the cross was crushed for our iniquities of our grossly immoral behavior. And on the cross, Jesus took our sin to be the sacrificial lamb, to die to our sin, our living our own way. And with only the help of God to have eyes to see and ears to hear and the mind to understand, that only by that would we ever see that Jesus was not a victim of sin and death. On the cross, it was Jesus' victory over sin and death, which is why Jesus willingly submitted to die on the cross. Fourthly, we see the servant's submission. 
Reading from verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearer is silent, as he did not open his mouth. The servant, not opening his mouth, shows self-restraint. It shows his acceptance to suffer. It shows his submission to follow through in God's way of salvation. Jesus showed no self-defense, no complaint. He showed no anger towards his accusers, rather in meekness and quiet strength. He submitted to God, no matter what the cost. And it was a great cost indeed, And so though he was submissive, that didn't lead to his bitterness. Because we all can submit to something that we don't like or makes our life more difficult. We can submit even though we don't like it, but usually when we do submit in that way, it ends with bitterness. Or we hold a grudge to the person that we're submitting to. So did Jesus respond like us after his submission to God for submitting his life? No, we read the quite the opposite. We read that he was satisfied. So lastly, the sixth point, the servant's satisfaction. Read on from verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. The servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, took on God's saving plan. He counted the cost that he had to pay for mankind. And how does he feel about it? The answer is satisfied. He's satisfied not by the limited and finite degree that we humans would be satisfied. Jesus is satisfied to the measure of his infinite and divine capacity, which is so larger and vaster than the numerous stars of the universe. Jesus was satisfied to sacrifice, to die on the cross because of the fruit of his submission and obedience is the salvation of an ever-growing number of believers and followers, the satisfaction of victory over death for many people from many nations. Jesus is satisfied with all of his submissive suffering because that achieved salvation for all. And so how glorious is it to see and behold the servant's wisdom? How glorious is it to see and behold the servant's rejection? How glorious is it to see and behold the servant's sacrifice? How glorious is it to see and behold the servant's submission? And how glorious it is to see and behold the servant's satisfaction? So this Christmas, what have you been beholding? Because our eyes are so prone to gaze on highly things, not humble things. Our eyes are so prone to gaze on shiny things 
not sacrificial things. Our eyes are so prone to easy and convenient things and not eternal things. Our eyes are not prone to see the beauty, the majesty of Jesus' ugly and bloody salvation. Our eyes are not prone to see the glory of the servant of God. But by the power of God in the work of the Spirit, we would have eyes to see, we would have ears to hear, and we would have minds to understand, to no longer blur Jesus into the background of Christmas. But Jesus will become the center of our attention, become the center of not only Christmas, but at the center of our lives, to behold him and praise him and to be satisfied in him. We become what we behold. And when we look at Jesus until our heart is melted at the greatness of his love and the power to save you and I at the cost of his life, when we see him like that, we would put our trust in him to cleanse us from all of our sin. And we will be devoted servants to him for the rest of our days. When you look at Jesus like that, you will see that his ways is the wise way. You will see all rejection and sacrifice and loss in obeying God is gain because you will be satisfied by the fruits of submission and obedience to God. You will see the costly life of the servant is life lived to the full. This Christmas, what have you been beholding? Chapel Hill, let's respond to God's call on our lives and behold Jesus, the servant of God who was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Our Lord, Heavenly Father, may we have eyes to see. May we have ears to hear. May we have minds to understand the glory of your servant, Jesus Christ. Amen.